George. Okay. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Okay, let's um, just bow in prayer, shall we? Father, we do thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would quieten our minds and our hearts. Uh, help us, Father, to uh, be free from things which would distract us, and um, by your spirit that you would be helping us to understand your word more clearly and seeing its importance in the life of our church. Father, that we would be people who live in obedience to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's not often that the Presbyterian Church makes it into the news headlines. But uh, that happened this week. Did anyone notice that? You know, as you'd expect, it was for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, Brett Bovey noticed it. He's an avid uh, observer of culture and society. Uh, it was for all the wrong reasons. It was the Presbyterian Church of the USA. So it's not our denomination. It's very different to our denomination. But the, uh, the reason that they were in the uh, news, in summary, is because it had to do with uh, the, uh, a story about what sort of person uh, can be ordained to be a minister, an elder, and in their denomination, a deacon. Um, they have regulations that uh, regulate who can be ordained, 
And the current regulation says that if someone, uh, someone who might, be, might become a minister or an elder or a deacon uh, who is single, then they can't be in a sexual relationship. They must be chaste in their singleness. Uh, if uh, the person is married, then they must be faithful to their spouse. And the regulation also says that marriage is a union between a man and a woman. Now, what's wrong with that? It sounds, sounds like a pretty good regulation to me. Uh, does it sound like good regulation to you? Yep. It's a good, re we'd want to sign off on that and say, yep, that kind of ticks the boxes, but so why were they in the news? Well, the reason they were in the news is because during the week they abolished the regulation. <laughs> they, uh, they got rid of it. They deleted it. The various presbyteries uh, were voting on this and they got enough, vote, enough presbyteries to vote to delete the regulation so that soon it will be enacted. Uh, what it means is that uh, when you think about it, that uh, soon it will be possible to ordain someone who's single but who is not chaste uh, in their singleness. Uh, it'll be possible to ordain someone who's married but isn't necessarily committed to faithfulness in marriage, but I mean that's that's not uh, real great news for the media. Uh, the thing which really got the media excited uh, was, can you think about? Can you can you guess? Yeah, it, the the media was excited because what it means is the the path is now cleared, so that uh, uh, people who are in same sex relationships. Uh, can now be married. Can you guys hear me? Is that working? Yeah. It's not working. Why is it working? You know why it's not working? No, I didn't turn it on. That would be so useful. All right. So the um, the the way is now cleared. That's on now, Jacob. Uh, the way is now cleared for people who are in homosexual. Uh, relationships to now be ordained as ministers, elders and deacons in the Presbyterian Church of the USA. Now it's disappointing, isn't it? And it's disappointing that they're in the news for all the wrong reasons. But they didn't just, they just didn't delete the regulation. What they did was they replaced the regulation uh, with another regulation that says that in the process of considering who should be ordained, that they will be guided by scripture. But what have they just done to scripture? <laughs> they just said that the, the scripture's teaching on marriage and fidelity and chasteness and sexuality is no longer important, it's no longer relevant. And so they've in fact rejected scripture. Now, I should say that the Presbyterian Church of the USA is not connected with our denomination. Uh, we would take a totally different view to that. And that there are other Presbyterian denominations in the USA which are really good, such as the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. Now, I mention this because it's a relevant um, issue that's cropped up during this week that does lead into what I want to be speaking about this week and next week. As you know, we've finished our series of uh, sermons on John's Gospel. 
In a few weeks' time, I want to start a fresh series on two kings to follow on from the series that we did a year or two ago on one kings. But over this next couple of weeks, I just want to spend some time uh, talking about the Bible and its place in our lives uh, individually and as a church. And today I'd like to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, which you might like to have open, because uh, it's a chapter that uh, helps us to see at least what the Bible teaches about its own authority and its, uh, uh, its place in our lives and in our church. Now, they say, and I think it's you know, true to an extent, that you can tell a lot about a person by their last words. Right? Was it Oscar Wilde said? Um, you know, he was in his deathbed and he said, this wallpaper is terrible, one of us has got to go. And I think he went. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, well, you can tell a lot about the Apostle Paul from his last words to Timothy uh, it would seem is, well, 2 Timothy uh, is in fact uh, the last letter that we have uh, with us that was written by Paul before he died. And he's written this letter from Rome and in ch- where he was in prison. And in chapter 4, verse 6, we can see that uh, Paul is expecting that he will soon uh, be dead that he'll soon be martyred. Uh, He wrote this uh, letter to his friend Timothy, who was a co-worker with Paul in the ministry of the gospel. And so the issue then is, what were his final words to this young man who he wanted to strengthen and encourage as a leader in God's church? What were his final words? Well, Paul's main concern is that there is a problem with certain people. Uh, He's concerned about people who uh, want to have an influence in the church, but whose view of the scriptures is wrong. They've got a wrong attitude towards God's word. Now, in our own day, we can see this sort of thing happening in a a variety of different ways. Uh, There are some people, uh, a lot of people outside the church, some people even within the church, who simply dismiss the Bible as being wrong. Uh, They say that the Bible is just a kind of a collection of ancient man's thoughts about God and therefore not relevant for the 21st century. Uh, there are some people, however, uh, like the, uh, those American Presbyterians, who will say, we are guided by God's word, by the scriptures, but in fact, what is guiding them is not the scriptures. In fact, what is guiding them is our secular society and a desire to somehow connect with, the, uh, with our culture. That's what's guiding them. And very often, uh, we'll come across church leaders who will say, they'll say, you know, we believe in God's word, but they want to tell us about new things which God apparently is doing today. They want to talk to us about uh, new prophecies, uh, fresh revelations, new uh, and exciting movements of God that are taking place. And what happens is that 
when they do that, in their teaching, that the Bible uh, actually gets moved off centre stage. It uh, gets shifted. And therefore, the main message of the Bible, which is the gospel, gets shifted off centre stage, uh, gets moved. It's not central to their, to their message. And guess what? Um, such preachers become very popular. Um, there's nothing new under the sun, however. And uh, if you have a look at uh, what Paul says in his day, in chapter 4, verses 2 to 4, let me read that for you, where he says to Timothy, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for, this is the reason why to do this, for... The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's a nice description, isn't it? They want someone to tickle their ears um, to, to make them satisfied. Uh, and he goes on to say, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths the things that aren't true. Now, it would be tempting for Timothy to water down the gospel uh, in order to make it a bit more palatable, to, uh, to go soft on the hard bits like the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of judgment and so on. It'd be tempting for Timothy to, to dream up uh, new messages that are going to appeal to people, but what's he to do instead? He's to hold his nerve, isn't he? Uh, He's to work hard at preaching the word of the gospel without compromise. Now, why? What reasons does Paul give as to why Timothy ought not to budge? I want to say that there's several reasons. The first reason is this. Well, let's have a look at, um, at, at verse 10 through to verse 15, where he says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconia and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learnt and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, the first thing I want to draw from that is that credibility counts. Timothy is to stick to the scriptures and is to stick to the gospel because he knows the life and the character of those who've taught it to him. Particularly, he knows of Paul. He had a very close relationship with Paul. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul refers to Timothy as my son. That's intimate, isn't it? And in, uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul outlines uh, what he was like before he became a Christian. 
And so Timothy knew of the changes that had happened in Paul's life. Timothy knew that Paul had once been a man who hated Jesus, that he'd once been a man who tried to stop people from teaching Jesus, that he persecuted Christians. Timothy knew that. But Timothy also knew that God had dramatically intervened in Paul's life through the, the, the message of Jesus and that Paul's life had been turned upside down so that now he was a man who devoted the rest of his life to proclaiming the gospel irrespective of the cost. Timothy knew the sufferings and the persecutions that Paul had endured. He knew that Paul was not just a religious salesman, that he was the real, the real thing, that he was convinced of the truth of the gospel. And so credibility counts. I think we see this in our own lives, don't we? That uh, there are those who uh, we see how their lives and their doctrine match and it actually gives testimony to the truth of their doctrine. Secondly, uh, in verse 15, the second reason was while Timothy should uh, not budge is because of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Timothy had been raised in a family where the scriptures were loved and honoured. Uh, he had been, he, his faith was shared by his grandmother and his mother. And the point that Paul is making here is that Timothy has known the Old Testament scriptures since he was an infant and therefore he knows that the message of the gospel is actually included in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Timothy has been taught the scriptures since he was a baby and now as, a, as an adult he could see that what the prophets said has been fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, that's a point which uh, Paul made from time to time. Uh, when he was on trial before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, uh, listen to what he said. He said to the king, when he was talking about what message he preached, he said, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and that he would rise from the dead. Now, uh, during this week, I uh, spoke to a number of congregation members and I asked this question. I said, uh, there are some people who say that the Bible is just a you know, random collection of ancient man's thoughts about God uh, and they dismiss the Bible because that's what they think. If someone were to say that to you, how, how would you respond to them? What, what would you say? That's a good question for you to think through as well. What struck me was a number of people who said, my answer to that would be, have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> I think it's a pretty good response, actually, because when we read the Bible, and particularly when we read the Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, which I actually want to encourage you to be doing, by the way, we'll talk a bit more about that next week. When you read the Bible from cover to cover, it is absolutely striking that uh, this book, which is written by many different authors 
over over a thousand years or so is so united that uh, in its message about God and creation of man and sin and judgment and of uh, and of forgiveness uh, it, that it is astonishing how integrated it is that it's not just random uh, that uh, it's astonishing that the Old Testament points so clearly in its doctrines and and explicitly in its prophecies uh, to the death and the resurrection of, of Jesus that, that it all interlocks so marvellously that there is no inconsistency now how can this be? Well, in verse 15, um, Paul talks about the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a few points I want to draw from that. And firstly, uh, there's a question of what does Paul mean by Scripture when he talks about the Holy Scriptures that Timothy has known, when he talks about all Scripture. What does he mean by Scripture? What does he include in Scripture? Uh, we would have to say that at the very least, that it is absolutely the case that Paul would have included in that all of the books of the Old Testament, uh, that which was the scriptures that our Lord Jesus used. Um, Paul may have also included uh, New Testament writings in that as well. Um, let me share with you why I say that. Uh, we know that... that uh, when the early Christians got together, even during the time when the New Testament was being written, that when they gathered together, that they would have, when they were all assembled, uh, the letters of the New Testament would be read in their assemblies, uh, along with the prophets of the, uh, along with the Old Testament scriptures. Um, the apostle Paul himself doesn't. Um, he comes close to calling his own writings scripture, but uh, it's made explicit by Peter in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. You know that passage where Peter talks about the letters that Paul writes? And he says something which I can really relate to, and I'm sure you two as well. You know, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Where he says, you know, Paul writes some letters which are a little bit difficult to understand sometimes. Uh, then he goes on to say that evil people, wicked people, twist and distort for their own purposes as they do the other scriptures. And it seems that Peter is including Paul's writing there as being scripture. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul quotes something which Jesus said, which was recorded for us in Luke's gospel, and refers to it as scripture. So... It's not unreasonable to be saying that Paul would be including in his definition of scripture uh, those writings, New Testament writings, that were being used by the church at that time. Uh, the New Testament, of course, was not complete, of course, because he's writing this in 2 Timothy, which has become scripture. 
But secondly, uh, in verse 16, who is the ultimate author of Scripture? Well, Paul says that all Scripture is, what, how does he describe it? It is God breathed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, some Bible translations uh, translate that as saying all Scripture is inspired by God. I don't think that quite captures the meaning in the, of the original. Uh, it's not like you know, a poet who goes and sits by a lake and feels inspired to write some beautiful poetry, uh, which is essentially a, just a man kind of thing. Uh, it's better to... Uh, uh, what, what Paul's intention here is to say that it's breathed out, that it's um, expired from God, if you like, uh, that uh, as God breathes out, he breathes out his words. As I'm breathing out now, I'm breathing out my words to you. Uh, it's a spoken thing. And so what it's saying, therefore, is that although the Bible is written by many, many different men, over a vast expanse of, of history in different circumstances and using different styles of writing, that ultimately the words of Scripture are the very words of God, that the Holy Spirit was moving men to write what they wrote. Now, some people say, um, I trust God, but I just don't, I'm just not comfortable with the Bible. I wonder if you've ever come across that. Um, I, I've certainly come across people who've said that. You know, I trust God, but I don't like any of that stuff in the Old Testament that's so violent and, uh, and so on. But friends, we can't separate God from his word. Uh, you can't say, for example, you know, I, I trust Peter Charles. I can use him as an example. He's not here. Yeah, you, know, you can't say, I trust Peter Charles. I just don't believe everything that he says. Right? A, a, a person is their word. If you trust me, you'll trust what I say. If you trust what I say, it's because you trust me. And it's the same with God. What Paul's saying here is that God is his word. Now, notice how much of scripture is God-breathed. I wonder if you've ever heard the phrase, the Bible contains the word of God. Mm, it's a bit of a slippery statement, actually. Um, liberal Christianity would use that statement. Uh, I've noticed there's something in our Presbyterian stuff that says it as well, which someday we ought to change because it's not what we believe. Um, liberal Christianity says that, and they say that, you know, there are some parts of God's word, sorry, some parts of the Bible that are God's word, some parts that are not God's word, and it's really up to, for, to us to decide what parts are in and what parts are out. And what that does is that that, elevates human reason above, above the Bible. That makes us the judge of the Bible, whereas friends, in fact, it's the Bible that judges us. Right? And of course, what ends up happening is that the hard bits, uh, even the miraculous bits of the Bible, are the bits that get left out. Um, the most obvious example of that is the resurrection. Now, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. The third thing I want to draw out from this is, what then is the purpose of scripture? What is scripture able to do? 
The most important thing is that it is able to make us wise for salvation. Um, think about this. We humans are pretty smart creatures, aren't we? Uh, God has given us a fantastic brain and there's a whole stack of stuff in our world and in our universe that we can discover through empirical research, through observation and analysis and science. That's what science is. We can discover a whole heap of stuff for ourselves and praise God that he's made us that way. But you know what? No matter how smart we are, by ourselves we could not discover the way to get right with God. Couldn't discover that. It requires for God to reveal that to us, to reveal the truth that Jesus is his son and that his death on the cross has paid the penalty for sin. Science can't figure that out. That's not in the realm of science. It requires a revelation from God. And God has revealed himself to us. He's told us that truth through the scriptures. It's only through his word that we learn that Jesus died for our sins and what that means. Now finally, in verse 16, there are four things that the scriptures are useful for. Do you see them? What are the four things? Let's read them together. First one is teaching. Second one is rebuking. Third one is correcting. Fourth one is training in righteousness. Now, these are not just a random collection of words here. There is, um, it's integrated. Uh, the Bible teaches us the truth. Uh, the Bible rebukes us by showing us when we've, how we've actually strayed from the truth, but the Bible doesn't just leave us in a state of being rebuked. Uh, it uh, corrects us, shows us how to live by the truth, and trains us so that we'll continue to live by the truth. And so that is how Timothy is to use the Bible. Timothy is to use the Bible to teach, to rebuke and to correct. And so we see that in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. But why is to Timothy to use the Bible in this way? Well, he's to do so so that the members of the church would be godly, so that they would be trained in righteousness, so that they would be thoroughly equipped for every good deed. There's a couple of things that come out of that. The first thing is that it's Paul saying to Timothy that what Timothy needs in order to lead the church uh, is the scriptures. And so that he ought to be using the scriptures as the basis for his teaching, for his rebuking, for his correcting, uh, and for, for, for training. Uh, so that, uh, you know, that the scriptures equip Timothy for every good work that he needs to be doing. The second thing that comes from that is that uh, 
uh, it's not just Timothy, it's not just church leaders that that applies to, it applies to each one of us because uh, if we want to be doing good deeds, uh, if we want to be serving God, then the most important quality that we ought to have is righteousness, um, is godliness. Uh, that we, we need to be people who've put off the old self uh, with its character and put on the, the new self that we ought to be evidencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know, which is love and, and joy and peace, patience, self-control and so on. Become that kind of person and we will be equipped to serve God because that's the most important thing. Our service of God is essentially, uh, the most essential aspect of that is our character. Um, The the next thing is really um, a question I want to ask you that comes from this. And that is that if the scriptures make us wise for salvation and thoroughly equip us for every good deed, then do we have need of any fresh revelations from God? Is there something missing? Is there something lacking that we need something new, something more? The answer's got to be no, hasn't it? That the the scriptures are sufficient. The scriptures are complete. The scriptures are enough to teach us the way of salvation and a way to live in a way that pleases God. In fact, uh, from what I've seen, uh, when people talk about so-called fresh revelations, uh, I've actually never seen that result in a greater commitment to the centrality of the scriptures and the centrality of the gospel. Uh, It's always, in my experience, seemed, seemed to have taken people away from putting their trust in the scriptures and taking them away from having the death and the resurrection of Jesus as being central to their Christian faith. Friends, um, I want to just finish by saying that 2 Timothy chapter 3 helps us to define the place of God's word in our church. In fact, it helps to define who we are as a church. Someone who I care for very, very much (coughs) told me just a few weeks ago that she went to church in Sydney uh, one morning. It was a service in a mainline denomination, uh, not ours. And she said, you know, it was, um, was an interesting service. There was a lot of people there and they had, you know, good music and interesting things were happening and so on. And she said, but Scott, there was something missing from the service. I said, well, what was it? Uh, she said, the sermon. She said, there was no sermon. I said, well, well that's interesting. No sermon. And she said, yeah, there was no sermon. I said, well, did they have anything instead of a sermon? And she said, yeah, they, they had um, artwork. They had 
paintings that they put up the front and uh, uh, you could go and have a look at the paintings and get the message from the paintings. Now, I know there's all sorts of messages that you can get from paintings. I know that I'm not, you know, not knocking that. But, you know, but, but friends, Paul, Paul says to Timothy, no, preach the word. This is his last words to Timothy before Paul went to be with the Lord. He says, preach the word, you know, correct and rebuke and encourage me with, with great patience and with careful instruction. Careful instruction. I've seen some good paintings in my time and I've never felt rebuked and corrected by many of them. Maybe some of them are a bit sort of confrontational, but no, preach the word, says Paul. And it's for this reason that the, the reading and the study and the preaching of God's word is absolutely central to our life as a church. Uh, it is central to what we do here on Sundays. Uh, it is the reason why we have Bible study groups happening. And I want to encourage everyone to get involved in a Bible study group if it is all physically possible for you to do so. And if it's not possible to do so, come and talk to me. Um, it is central to how our church is led. The Bible is central to how our church is led. Uh, the, um, the leaders of our church, we do work hard to try to ensure that uh, that is through the teaching that we lead the church and that decisions that are made are made on the basis of the principles that are found in Scripture. You need to pray for us in that regard because the temptation is to lead the church in accordance with what works or what people want. That's the temptation. And that's a slippery slide. So we endeavour to lead the church through the principles and the teaching of Scripture. Because if the Bible is the very word of God then that means that it is true because God is true. That means that it is authoritative, that it has authority and that although we will derive our knowledge of the world and, and certain of our beliefs from a variety of different sources, that uh, it must be the case that the scriptures are our supreme authority in what we believe and how we live. Now, next week, I'd like to speak about what that means for us personally, and I want us to talk. I want to talk about the um, the benefits of daily Bible reading and uh, how daily Bible reading uh, might uh, become a vital part of each of our daily lives. So more of that next week. But let's now pray. Father, we do thank you for the revelation of yourself and your way of salvation that's come through your word, the scriptures. Um, we pray for ourselves that we would understand the nature of scripture, 
and the authority that Scripture has and help us to be people who are eager to uh, know the Scriptures and to shape our lives in accordance with the Scriptures. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.